All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to learn your word, to humble ourselves before your word and your spirit. And Father, help us tonight truly be humble. Help us be listening for your instructions and your cues and to forget about ourselves and our own opinions. Father, we thank you most of all for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven to be the great forgiver once, for, once and for all, for all of our sins. Help us never be familiar with this, Father, and use that love that he showed us to help us pass on love and forgiveness. Father, please guide us by your Spirit this evening. Help us understand what you want us to know. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, and by the power of the Spirit we pray. Amen. All right, again, hindering God's love means hindering your sanctification, part five. So forgiveness is a great example of allowing God's love to flow freely through us or, or to getting in the way of that. And that's what the Spirit's been emphasizing the last four classes, which I didn't think it was going to take that long, honestly, um, as I had a whole other main passage I wanted to get into. But the Spirit had other plans, and um, it's something that must be something we need to avoid hindering God's love. So we've talked about getting out of the way in humility, realizing our ways are not God's ways. And that, that statement cannot be overstated. Our ways are not God's ways in so many different ways. Uh, we have, you know, we, we have things in a, in a box in our mind like, oh, that's talking about this way right here or this thing in particular. Well, what about the other, you know, 500 going on in your life that you, you say, oh, well, that doesn't really apply to that. God's ways are not our ways. We have a whole bunch of wrong ways, and he's got a whole bunch of the right ways. So God's ways are the only way that's going to get us to freedom. And that's what God's trying to do in our lives through the Spirit, through this ministry for years now, through the Word. He's trying to get us to freedom. But you've got to cut through. It's like a machete in a jungle. You've got to cut through a lot of garbage, and you've got to be willing humbly to go forward in that to get there. And he's, he's been cutting out a lot of garbage, uh, garbage, garbage in our soul, as you know. Um, but keep that big picture in mind, that this is all for freedom for yourself and others. So forgiveness is a primary way to pass on the unconditional love of God. It is one of the greatest ways. And on the board, just remember how it's spelled. The word give is in the center. And when you forgive somebody, you, you actually are giving something to them. You're really giving them freedom. You're not holding on to them anymore, you know, leading them around, holding something over them. You're giving them freedom. With all of us being sinners and all of us needing God's mercy, we are motivated by His love to give freedom to others who have sinned against us. If you're humble, if you recall the depths of your sin, if you recall 
how much you enjoy God's mercy, especially when you fail horribly. You know, I can think of a few times in my lives where I failed horribly. Like, I felt so bad. I was so full of guilt and, you know, almost, almost wondering if there was a way out in my soul. And then God's mercy is the only thing that totally forgives you and totally sets you free. So if you have that gratitude, when you think about what He's done for you in those areas, that should motivate you. That love should motivate you to give the same type of freedom to other people instead of holding it over them. That's what forgiveness really is. It's giving freedom to another who is chained up by a debt. And Christ broke our chains. Who are we to entertain, to even just consider not breaking the chains of another sinner who repents towards us? So that being said, the Spirit gave us some direction on when and how to forgive. And let's review this one more time as it's vital to our main topic, talking about applying forgiveness. The Bible says forgiveness is a must if and when someone repents. And we've been to Luke 17, verses 3 through 4. So there's a process that needs to run its course in our lives when forgiving another person. And as we've seen, we're even to help someone come to repentance. If maybe they're in denial or aloof about a situation. And we are to do that out of love for them. Not for any other bad motivation. No, I told you so's, but out of love for them. And we were reminded of the value of repentance. Talking about repentance for forgiveness. Repentance is such an important process in the soul, not for the one doing the forgiving, but in the soul of the guilty party. Their soul must turn around to be healed. And that's why you should desire that for them, because they're not healed. Do you care about the one who sinned against you? You should. If you don't, then you're in the flesh. That's not God's heart. Is your resentment getting in the way of seeing the light or seeing the big picture truth about a matter? When you sin against another person, do you want them to remember that you are just a sinner? Do you want them to stop caring about you? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So you want forgiveness but you can't give it? I mean, that's what that whole parable in Matthew 18 was about. That wicked slave. If you would forgive yourself to free yourself from the bondage of guilt, which really sucks, as we all know. It's the best way to put it. When, when you're trapped in guilt, there's, there's no feeling like that. And if you're willing to forgive yourself and you want out of that thing for yourself, for your own benefit, how can you not Give that to your brother. Forget your enemy. We're going to get to them. How can you not give that to your brother? Most important to remember, the Lord Jesus Christ forgave you of countless sins. And this is why we go to our brother in hopes of showing them their need for repentance. Because without repentance, forgiveness can't be fully applied. And we've noted 
we have this example uh, even in the application of salvation to an individual on the board regarding applying forgiveness. Even though Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, in 1 John 2, 2, the Lord said, unless people believe in him, they'll die in their sins. In John 8, 21 and 24. So without repentance, a person won't truly turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. So God's not going to violate the free will. He's not going to say, okay, I forgive you. That stamp of approval, if you will. God reaches out to mankind, even though they're stubborn, right? Even though they refuse to repent, God still reaches out to mankind, getting his attention in various ways in hopes he will see his guilt before God and then repent. Could be a head-on collision. Could be a life-threatening sickness. God has his ways to reach each and every one of us, and that is mercy and grace trying to lead us to repentance. So again, about applying forgiveness, if people refuse God's offer, their free will is honored by God. And forgiveness will not be applied to them, even though their sins were paid for at the cross. So, just as God reaches out to mankind, we're to reach out with God's love to those who fall among us. To restore them. That's God's heart. Go to Romans 12 again. And this time we're going to start in verse 14. Romans 12, 14. Just as God reaches out to mankind, we are to reach out with God's love to those who fall. To restore them and our relationship with them. So long as it's possible with us. In Romans 12, we get a view here of a forgiving heart. Okay, just look at, as we read this, look at the heart behind it. You know what I mean? Don't get caught up in the technical words or anything. Look at the, the heart of this person. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So not only do we see here an attitude of forgiveness and giving things over to God. But we also see a prelude to the Lord's statement about loving your enemies. The heart of God is to restore the broken, even if they're your enemies. That's the heart of God. That's what He did for you and I. The Bible says we were His enemies. I don't care if you... 
don't think you're as bad a sinner as other people or you think you're a good person. The Bible says we were his enemies before turning to Christ. So if God did that for you and I, we have no right to not do that for even our enemies because God's heart is restore. Restore the broken. Reconcile. Bring peace. Even reach out to the one who's resisting or not repenting and tell them the truth. Tell them the story in love. And you can't make them repent, but you can do that as long as it depends on you, you can do that. So we're simply imitating God's love that he, he has already had for us as the guilty party. And the most important thing is to have the proper attitude about forgiveness. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. It's a way of thinking. In the sphere of God's love, it's a way of thinking. It's like, and it, you've got to go back to Christ every day you're alive. You've got to go back to that cross every day you're alive. It's the only way you're going to keep grounded and remember the, what gives you the power to do this by remembering what Christ did. So forgiveness is an attitude that just becomes us because of what he did. So on the board regarding the attitude of forgiveness, we saw the last couple of messages here. We have no right to hold back the limitless love of God as he forgave us without limits. It goes back to the basics. We have no right to hold back the limitless love of God as he forgave us without limits. That's the proper perspective or attitude on forgiveness. So, while never losing sight of this proper attitude, we proceed in forgiveness in the biblical way. So, back to applying forgiveness. First of all, Forgiveness should always be given in one's own heart. This has to take place first and immediately when someone uh, harms you. There's never a time that God doesn't want us to give it all over to Him and forgive those that sin against us, no matter what. There's never a time that it's okay not to forgive somebody in your heart. Just go back to the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If there was any time in human history when that was okay, it would have been then to say, eh, I'm not going to forgive these guys right now. This is too much. So again, first of all, forgiveness should always be given in one's own heart. There's never a time God doesn't want us to give it all over to him forgiving those who sin against us no matter what. As the Lord said in Matthew 18, forgive your brother from your heart. So, that being said, let's talk about applying forgiveness directly to a person that we're dealing with in our lives. And the question came up, why not just forgive the person in our heart and then, you know, move on? And it's their problem now if they're not going to repent, for example, right? Why doesn't God just say, just forgive me in your heart, move on, don't worry about them? Because in love, we should worry about them, especially if they're a brother. So one more time, the Spirit wanted me to read through William MacDonald's summary of this answer to that question. Why not just forgive the person in your heart and move on? First of all, 
The answer is that there are stages in the administration of forgiveness as follows. When a brother wrongs me or sins against me, I should forgive him immediately in my heart. Ephesians 4.32 And that frees me from a bitter, unforgiving spirit and leaves the matter in, on his shoulders. And when you see this statement about leaving the matter on his shoulders, don't then fall into the trap of being resentful. Okay, it's his problem now. It's the wrong attitude on forgiveness. It's not the heart of forgiveness. The Lord's heart is that he desires that person to turn around and be healed. So even if you're upset with them or angry with them, for whatever reason, you should want them to be healed if you have Christ's heart. If you realize how much you've been forgiven, you should want them to be healed. So now that you've forgiven someone in your heart, you can move on to helping restore them because your brother has a heavy burden on his shoulders. And even if he's ignoring you and he seems like acting like everything's okay, he has a heavy burden on his shoulders because he's carrying around guilt. And that doesn't need to be between two brothers. So then McDonald goes on to say, while I have forgiven him in my heart, I do not yet tell him that he is forgiven. It would not be righteous to administer forgiveness publicly until he has repented. So I'm obligated to go to him and rebuke him in love, hoping to lead him to confession. Luke 17:3. And then the third step, as soon as he apologizes and confesses his sin, I tell him that he is forgiven. Luke 17:4. And when a person apologizes, we aren't supposed to bring up their sins again. Like we're 12 years old or something, right? When a person apologizes or repents, forgive them. What did Jesus say in Luke 17, 3 and 4? When your brother repents, forgive him. Done. That's the way to, to go. And that's the opportunity when your brother finally does repent or apologize. And that's what we saw in the Lord's parable on forgiveness. There's a repentance by a guilty party before forgiveness is granted publicly. And as McDonald said, again, it's the righteous way to do it. So I hope that, again, clears up. For some reason, God wanted me to go through those steps again. But um, I hope that clears up the proper approach, if you will, to forgiveness, first in your own heart and then to the individual. And the Holy Spirit, I'm sure, will guide us as long as we are humble. So back to our main emphasis, which is to need or the need to forgive somebody. Willingly grant forgiveness and mercy from the heart to allow God's love to flow through us fully and unhindered. The key word is willingly, folks. Free will. The, the evil slave was unwilling. When God wants us to be willingly humble, he's not going to force us, but he wants us to willingly grant forgiveness and mercy from the heart.
to allow God's love to flow through us fully and unhindered. Through us to them. No, no roadblocks. No speed bumps. You know what I mean? You ever drive in a Cadillac? You know how smooth the Cadillac rides? That's how smooth the flow should be. How it should go into you or through you to the next person. You should, there should be no hesitation. Monica likes that analogy. There should be no hesitation at all. There should be no speed bumps. That's why I said that. Stop picking on me. There should be no speed bumps. You, you put speed bumps in the way, like to get that little extra dig in there, right? We're so arrogant when we do that. But God wants us to just give, give freely, just like he gave to you. Don't fall for the lies of the devil who's trying to keep something between you and your brother. And don't listen to the whispers of your sin nature, which tells you you want to hold a grudge, at least a small one. They're both trying to keep you and the other person in chains rather than enjoying the full freedom of God's love as it's meant to flow. You want to defeat Satan? Do that. You want to get demons to stop bothering you in your life? Do this on the board. And they'll have no choice but to run away because you resisted them. You didn't fall for their traps. So we talked about the evil of the flesh. When our brother comes to us asking for forgiveness with a repentant heart, it is evil in God's eyes to reject him. That's when our own hearts need repentance. And God will see to it that we see our error. We're going to learn the easy way or the hard way, folks. You can give it up. You can be humble and give it up. Or you can hold on to things and in Matthew 18.35, allow your father to hand you over to the torturers because you need that to actually wake up from this stupor that you're willingly in. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. There's no way to escape that truth in Scripture. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. If you decide to live in the wrong ways or your ways, Instead of God's ways, you have to reap what you sow. It's God's natural law. It's going to happen. It's your choice, whether it's the easy way or the hard way. If you hold back forgiveness, you'll have forgiveness held back from you, according to Scripture. Held back from you by God the Father, as we've seen and will see. We saw on Sunday, Proverbs 19.11, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Do you know what it means to overlook? It doesn't mean to bring it up. It means to not even bring it up ever. Now, there's a time to go to your brother and tell him or ask him to repent and let him at least make him aware that that he sinned against you, right? That's okay. That's good. In love, that's good. But when's the last time you overlooked a transgression? I mean, between you and the Lord. Think about it. Maybe go home and think about that one. When's the last time you overlooked a transgression instead of pointing out every time someone's wrong or someone makes a mistake? I don't know. 
It's a good test. Look at the heart in that statement on the board. It is his glory to overlook a transgression. That's grace, folks. Grace means you give even though someone doesn't deserve it. If we focus on being the right person, living in Christ, we will have a forgiving heart and will be willing to overlook a transgression. We'll be slow to anger because we remember how he was slow to anger with us. How many transgressions did God overlook while you were still an unbeliever? How many? Because you were still an enemy. You were still saying no to God. How many did he overlook, absorb, if you will, absorb the blows, and not shove it in your face, not discipline you harshly like you should have? I mean, I think back to some of the things I, I did as a young man, and I'm like, man, oh, thank you for your mercy, your gentleness, because you should have crushed me. But if he crushed me, I wouldn't have been able to handle it, you see? He, and some people he needs to crush, and he knows that that's what they need to turn to him eventually. But if he really gave us what we deserve, we'd all be dust, right? So God was slow to anger with us. We have to pass that on, folks. It's back to humility. Humility is quick to apologize, and it's quick to forgive also. And as we've been noting, it's to our own harm if we don't forgive. Again, humility is the key. These are issues of humility on both sides of the aisle by the guilty party in repentance and by the innocent party in offering true forgiveness. Without humility and realizing our place before the judge, none of this beauty and healing takes place. And it's a shame. We, we lose an opportunity. Not only to live a more enjoyable life and a more relaxed, loving life, but we lose an opportunity to bring God glory and to re be rewarded in heaven, honestly. He's hoping that we live freely in this way, with this kind of unhindered love. Go to Matthew 6, verse 9 again. Matthew 6, 9, we see the Lord's Prayer. The Lord said to his disciples, Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. So once again, we see accountability to God the Father, even for believers. 
This verse is stated a little bit differently in Matthew 11.25 on the board. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. So we have a direct connection that we can't deny. And God the Father is pretty harshly saying, I'm not going to forgive you your transgressions if you're going to hold back to others. So we're talking about freely passing on forgiveness. This is so important to God that even though he's already forgiven us our sins positionally at the cross, he will not forgive our sins experientially in terms of sanctifying us if we don't forgive others. God's going to honor our free will. He will not force us to repent and he will not force us to forgive. But know there are repercussions to your own soul and to your own sanctification. We also saw this on Sunday. Experiential sanctification is hindered by our lack of faith and lack of love. And this is seen in our lives in the lack of forgiveness. And so God must hold us accountable. And though it will pain us, it's part of his grace plan to complete the good work in us. Again, he's going to get you there the easy way or the hard way. If you're a believer in Christ, he's going to get you there. It's your choice. (laughs) We have plenty of illustrations in the Bible about the hard way, don't we? So allow those to humble your soul. Let's again read a couple of wonderful passages. Um, Go to Ephesians 4, verse 25. And I recommend that these are a couple of passages you should go home and just read and dwell on. Because, first of all, they're beautiful. They say it so, so wonderfully and completely. And they give you a lot to, to think about if you're humble enough to do that before God. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. See, the Holy Spirit knows he has to remind us of what Christ did constantly so that we obey these commands. I mean, in verse 32, forgive each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us and offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That's living in the gospel reality. Go to Colossians 3, verse 12.
Colossians 3.12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Here it is again. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So I hope you go home and read those passages and just enjoy them, like soak them in, you know. Grab a coffee, grab a tea, and just don't rush through these beautiful pearls and just see what the Spirit convicts you of. So that puts a cap on forgiveness in this study and how it affects the flow of God's love in our lives. Our second major passage is in uh, Matthew 5, 38. Go there again, please. We did go here on Sunday morning. And we're not going to be able to get into too much detail, but let's just see what is plainly stated by the Lord. Remember plainly stated doctrine? Let's just see what is plainly stated by our Lord and apply it to our lives with the faith of a child. That sound good? Can I get your agreement on that? Cool. Have that viewpoint. Let's read this passage. What's plainly stated, and you're just a little child right now, what is Jesus telling you to do? Matthew 5.38 You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he, God, causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you want to be mature in God's love, you have to humbly realize that you have no right to restrict the flow of His love even to your enemies. You don't have any right whatsoever. And though you will be hurt, and though you will be emotional, uh, though it will be unfair treatment, though it might be a religious zealot from another religion against you, and they even physically harm you, you have no right to hold back God's love from them. That's the maturity of God's love, okay? And this is a spiritual thing. 
It's a supernatural thing. God works this out in us over time through humility. Okay, so I'm not saying I'm there yet or any of us are there yet. But this is where he wants to take us. What did the Spirit say a few weeks ago? God's taking us to love. He's taking us to this place and this sphere that he wants us to live in, like all the time. And enjoy life. And even if somebody attacks you, you can be free, is what that means. You can be free, just like Jesus was on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. No resentment, no bitterness. That's a miracle in us anyway. So, if you want to be mature in God's love, you have to humbly realize that you have no right to hold back His love. This is the third time and the third passage that we've seen some type of accountability to God the Father. Look at verse 45 and verse 48 again. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. See how the Father's brought up again? Look at verse 48. Therefore, you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the third passage we've seen this in. And although this one's a little less direct than the other ones, the Lord brings up the Father as our standard and as the one we answer to, ultimately. So, as you contemplate loving your enemies, ask yourself some familiar questions. And these are good questions. Who are you that God even thought of you in the first place? Were you, were you just that good of a person that God actually said, all right, you know what, come on this side, come on my side? Our flesh wants to say that. Who are you that God even thought of you in the first place? Have you forgotten what you've been forgiven of, as in Luke 7, 47? Have you forgotten what you've been forgiven of? Have you forgotten that you were once considered an enemy of God by God? If you remember those things, then that is a huge foundation we have to build on. That's, that's everything. That's living in the gospel reality now. And now you have the power from that position to build a little structure in your soul that's able to forgive others and love others, even when you don't feel like it, even when you're emotional, whatever. You have that power because you have this huge foundation to build on if you remember those points. Going back to the cross. And there's an explanation about this verse in Matthew 544, where Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's an explanation I want to share with you also from William McDonald. As you try to apply this to your own lives on the board, William McDonald regarding Matthew 544. But now Jesus announces that we are to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. The fact that love is commanded shows that it is a matter of the will and not primarily of the emotions. It is not the same as natural affection because it is not natural to love those who hate and harm you. It is a supernatural grace 
and can be manifested only by those who have divine life. Again, now Jesus announces that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. The fact that love is commanded of us shows that it is a matter of the will and not primarily of the emotions. In other words, you may not feel like it. That's not the issue. It is commanded of us. It's a matter of the will. It is not the same as natural affection because it's not natural to love those who hate and harm you. It is a supernatural grace. Who does God give grace to? The humble. It is a supernatural grace and can be manifested only by those who have divine life. So here's the key. God will change our will in our hearts if we're humble. God will change our will and our hearts if we're willingly humble. When approached in humility, God has no other choice, and he loves that. He loves his child getting down on his knees, apologizing, saying, I'm sorry, show me the way, show me your way. My way failed again. Show me your way. And as long as you're humble, God's going to give and give and give and give, including the ability and the will to love your enemies. It's a supernatural thing. Go to Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. As we begin to wrap up this series. God is, is desiring to do this supernatural good work in you. But you and I get in the way. Uh, we're, we're arrogant. We're prideful. We cling to things we shouldn't cling to. And it goes back again. If we get out of the way and we're humble, he's going to do all this amazing stuff in us. Truly amazing has nothing to do with us other than submission. Psalm 8, verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Here you are, God. You've made the heavens. You've made the heavens and the stars. <laughs> I'm living on this earth. This earth is tiny compared to the universe. And here we are, a speck on the earth, right? Who is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, under man's feet. So not only did God forgive us, he promoted us, right? In verse 4, he thought of us in the first place. He forgave us. And then in verse 5 and 6, he promoted us. I mean, if that doesn't humble you, there's something wrong. With God acting in love and grace towards you, and make this personal, please. With God acting in love and grace towards you, 
How can you get in the way and restrict the flow of his love to other people? You know what? If you restrict the flow to other people, you don't really believe it. You don't really believe the love he has for you. You don't really believe the forgiveness he's given you. You don't really believe you're as bad of a sinner as you really are or were as an unbeliever. You don't really believe that fully because that's the only reason you would hold back God's love. How can we hold back God's love to other people? I'll tell you how. A few words. Arrogance, bitterness, selfishness, self-pity, eyes on self, and eyes on darkness, not the light. Well, how do you get over all those things? On the board, remember the victory and put your eyes on the victory, not on your weaknesses. Overcoming darkness was already done for us by Christ. This came up weeks ago in our lessons, if you remember, months ago maybe. Overcoming darkness was already done for us by Christ. So when we struggle with certain things, we need to stop wrestling with those things, trying to fix them, and just turn to the light. Just turn to the cross. And remember all that he's done for you. By turning to the light, which is the love of Christ, we defeat the darkness lurking in our lives. By believing the love God has for you, you defeat the darkness. By just praying and believing and accepting it as your own, as a grace gift from God, maybe believing it more than you've ever believed it. When you do that thing, you defeat the darkness. Love conquers all things. Love never fails. So by turning to the light, we receive more and more of his power. And then we can allow his love to flow freely, even to those who have hurt us. Why is that? Regarding loving your enemies even? It's not about us. And it's not even about them. It's not even about the guys that nail the spikes into his hands and feet. It's about the Lord. And it's about his immeasurable amount of forgiveness that he's given us. If your eyes are on that, you have nowhere... You're going to have no problem operating in God's love. It's not about us. It's not even about them who sinned against you. It's about the Lord and the immeasurable amount of forgiveness He's given us. And there is the miracle. The power of God in man. Why was the Apostle Paul so great, quote-unquote, as a believer? Why did he live in the faith and love of God? because he knew how much he was forgiven. It's almost an advantage to him to have come from where he came from. You see what I mean? Because if a person realizes the level of forgiveness, it's easy to live in his love. So thank God for whatever you've been through that turned you to God and... um, Maybe you need to count, again, those things in your past that you need to be thankful for 
that he had mercy on. As we start to close, in Pastor's blog uh, years ago now, he had a blog called Pretend You're a Light Bulb. I don't know if any of you remember that. Pretend you're a light bulb. And he gave us the analogy of electricity flowing through a battery and how that is a picture of love flowing through us if we make the connection. But in humility, we have to make the connection. And we had a bunch of talk about connection from the pulpit, connecting with God and with other people. So again, it's our opportunity to connect with God and others and not resist God's pull in our lives. And we need connection to live a healthy, happy life with God. We will live in His love if we have that kind of connection. And so, will we get in the way and restrict the flow of God's love by some of the sins that we just mentioned, like arrogance and bitterness and self-pity and and we can go on and on? Or will we get out of the way and look at the light and in humility and submission to His ways allow His love to flow freely through us? So think of electricity through a light bulb. On the board, here's a quote or two from Pastor's blog, Pretend You're a Light Bulb. Pretend you're the light bulb. God's love desires to push grace through you so that you'll light up nice and bright. That brings glory to Him. To whatever degree you tap into His love, to that same degree you will light up. As you grow spiritually, your light will shine brighter and brighter. And then a little bit later in the blog, he says this, one of the great mysteries in the Word is that in order for you to fully experience God's grace, and therefore is love, you must allow it to pass through you. Again, one of the great mysteries in the Word is that in order for you to fully experience God's grace and love, you must allow it to pass through you. In other words, not not around you, you know, not like you're willing to hold on to some of it, and let it be by your side? No, no, no. Are you willing to stick your finger in the socket? In a good way. Are you willing to stick your finger in the socket and let God's love literally pass through you? Because we see, we even fear that kind of a thing. It's a good thing. I mean, that's a beautiful thing, right? Why wouldn't we? But we fear losing control. But in humility, God gives grace to the humble. If you allow it to pass through you, it's going to change your life. If you believe the love God has for you, it's going to change your life. And trust me, I'm not there yet. (laughs) I'm hearing myself say these principles, and I'm like, ooh, ah, jeez, I'm not there. That sounds good, though. You know, I'm going to try that one. I mean, this is, you know, the Word of God and the wisdom the Spirit's given us over the years, and it's a journey. And as we become more and more humble, and God even humbles us, um, we're going to allow it to pass through us. But we've got to put our finger in the socket. Be a kid again, right? Maybe that's back to the faith of a child, right? A little kid sticking the finger in the socket. I don't know. It all comes back. Personally, I think of a hose analogy, like a garden hose, 
and how you can, you can squeeze that hose and limit the flow of that water coming out, right? And that's just how I picture it. Whatever analogy works for you, great. But the more you squeeze, is you getting in the way. And you're not allowing God's love to flow through you, through your vessel. To actually receive it from God is the first step. But that takes faith. And us squeezing it tight is an appropriate picture of what we do in our souls. We hold on to things, not wanting to let go and accept His way of freedom. And you know why we hold on to those things? Because we think it's security. And it's a big, fat lie. We cling to so many things for security, as on the board. Clinging to the wrong things. Our looks, our hair, our skin, our bodies, our reputation. By the way, maybe that's one reason we don't forgive other people. Our success. Our standing in our families, in our communities. We cling to our possessions, our money, our comforts in life that we think we quote-unquote need. Our covert arrogance. We actually cling to our covert arrogance because that way we don't have to be called out or judged even by a friend trying to tell us the truth. So we walk into a room and our flesh is insecure because we see certain people that appear better than us in certain ways. Maybe in the ways on the board. But that's all a lie. And God's trying to tell us it's all a lie. It's one huge, big, fat lie. This whole world is a lie. And there's some, some things we still cling to in this world, if we're honest. But this whole world is a lie. It's like a mirage. But because with our eyes we can see the mirage, we, we buy it. Right? We keep getting fed it on TV. Fed it. Just like, you know, big fat spoon. Coming in the baby's mouth. And we buy the lie because we see it. So, yeah, you know, it looks so good. It looks real. It looks real. You know, we reach out and touch. Oh, it's, re- it's real. But it's only in this world that it's real. So our flesh just buys that lie. And Scripture says don't buy the lie. Scripture says don't be of the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. You and I right now are in a desert called the world and it's just a mirage the real oasis is over here with god the real oasis is at the cross the real security is in submitting to god and his love surrendering to god and his love real security in our lives is letting go of our own ways letting go of the hose that we're squeezing and to trust Him to fulfill our lives and our hearts the way He wants to. Not clinging to the garbage on the board, the deceptions on the board. That's the only way God's love is going to set us free experientially. And we can then live a different life in a different world. Listen, you can be in the world and not be of the world. That's why, that's why he says that to us. It's possible. 
but it takes a lot of faith and humility. And God will give you those things if you ask him for it. It all comes back to that simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Just stop squeezing the stupid hose. Let go of these false securities on the board. So in closing, God wants us to be a vessel of his love. Be in Christ. Enjoy it. Swim in it. Be a vessel of his love. Receive his love and forgive your brother with it. With that same power that he hits you with when you finally believe his love. Hit your brother with that. Receive his love and love your enemies even with that same exact love that he gave you. And it's possible because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Don't, you know, don't make excuses. Don't, when you say like the words like I can't do it, you're saying your flesh can't do it. Right? Of course you can't do it. You know, religious people try to do this all the time in their flesh. Trying to act loving. Trying to act forgiving. Act patient. Okay? We can't do that. But you can do it. If you rely on Christ. So get out of the way. Be a little kid. Believe what your father's telling you. And be like, wow, I can do it. Okay, Dad, I'm jumping off the roof because you said I could fly. And if you have that kind of faith, he will catch you. And he'll take you places you never thought you could go. Because it's not you that's doing it. It's actually Christ within you. So, with that in mind, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these wonderful truths you've given us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the opportunity to be a vessel of your love and for the opportunity to let it pass right through us like an electrical charge. Help us get out of the way, Father. Help us in humility follow you with the faith of a child. Help us believe and receive your love and let it flow right through us to others that may even be hurting us. We thank you for this privilege, Father, that we can represent you in this way, that we can act like your son, even though we're unworthy. Father, please bless us all as we go and help us bring these truths out to a lost and dying world that needs it so, so desperately. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.